So what do you think would happen if I kidnapped all of the world leaders? All the presidents, prime ministers, and powerful politicians, all the titans of industry, all the generals, and the rebel leaders, and I brought them to a small forested island in the Pacific Northwest. And why would I do this, you might ask? Well, to solve all the world's problems, of course. Welcome to the Impactivism Podcast, where we explore how each of us, as individuals, can get better at doing good. I'm your host, Logan Sullivan, and this is episode number 15. So no, I am not actually planning to do this, so don't be alarmed. But for the sake of this episode, let's run with this idea for a minute and see what happens. So when we all arrived, me and all of the world leaders, we'd sit down on the soft dirt. I'd remove their blindfolds and offer them a hot glass of, let's call it, magic tea. And as this tea begins to take effect, whatever effect magic tea might have, maybe caffeine, I don't know, I'd go through some of the itineraries of their common high-level meetings and the summits and their conferences and peace talks. Then we'd reflect on them for a little bit, considering what is actually accomplished in these massive forums compared to the potential that they possess, where they fall short of addressing the problems they set out to address, and why. And then, after the sun sets, I'd quickly play for everyone a rendering of Carl Sagan's Pale Blue Dot speech from the Cosmos uh, TV series, an astronomy series back in the 90s. Now, he reflects on an image in this, in this discussion taken by a, space, a spacecraft called the Voyager 1 as it left our solar system back in 1990, in which Earth appears as only a tiny pale dot in infinite space. And for those of you who have not heard of this or have not seen the video or not even seen the image, uh, you can find all the links in the show notes at logansullivan.com and I strongly encourage all of you to take the three and a half minutes to watch this. I promise uh, there's very little that's worth, worth more. So to very quickly and very poorly attempt to paraphrase Carl Sagan as he references this image of Earth taken from 3.7 billion miles away in which our entire planet occupies less than one pixel in this image. It went something like this. And again, please, please watch it yourself. Please listen to it yourself because I will butcher this, I promise. Okay. So look again at that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love. Everyone you know. Everyone you've ever heard of. Every human being who ever was lived out their lives on that moat of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The Earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. 
Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings, how eager they are to kill one another, how fervent their hatreds. It has been said that astronomy is a humbling and character-building experience. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. Again, please listen to the version uh, yourselves. That was a tiny portion. Um, so again, at logansullivan.com, you can find all the links. Um, definitely have a listen. It will blow you away. I really wanted to play it uh, here, but I wasn't quite sure of the legality of that. I'll, again, I'm just starting this podcasting thing, so I'll have to figure that out, and maybe I can in another episode, because at any time, it's great to have your mind blown. So we're back in the forest, me and all of the world leaders. And we're reflecting on the problems that might be caused by our neglecting to look up at the stars at night, to grasp their enormity, and to step outside of our own imagined self-importance. And then we do just that. We lay down to look up at the stars. And after a moment, I'd point out Mars. You know, at this time of year, it's just as visible to the naked eye as your average bright star. Yet only light minutes away in a universe spanning a 93 billion light year diameter. Try to process that for a moment. It seems so far away, but it's just nothing. And then I'd ask them, you know, while laying on the surface of Earth, of Earth looking up at Mars, to instead imagine lying on the surface of Mars, looking at Earth. And we'd meditate on that for a few minutes, and maybe the magic tea might help. <laughs> and I'd interrupt their tea and astronomy-inspired epiphanies that they'd surely be having, and I'd ask some questions. I'd ask, what are we fighting over? I'd ask, what the fuck is a national border, patriotism, an army, a bomb, a gun. I'd ask, how is it that with so much prosperity in the world, on your watch, people still starve to death? I'd ask, why are all our highest value systems of progress based on the magnitudes of growth that we achieve, not the intelligence and quality of betterment in our world. And death is part of the life of a species, but extinction 
is its conclusion, and that is forever. So I'd ask, are we humans in our 200,000 years on Earth? In our blink of an astronomical eye compared to Earth itself and so many other species? Are we so superior to other animals that extinction is an acceptable byproduct of our addiction to reckless growth at all costs? And exploitation of other species for our luxury and prosperity. Does our superior right to prosper outweigh their apparently inferior right to live and not to suffer? And if so, from the surface of Mars looking down, what gives us that right? And lastly, if we have one pale blue dot to call our own on our watch, shouldn't we cherish it? This whole kidnapping scenario, this might be the second best way to solve world problems quickly and thoroughly. But trust me, I've looked into the logistics and it's not likely to happen anytime soon. So what would be the best possible way to solve the world's largest problems? the less reasonable idealist surviving somewhere inside of me it's not entirely gone it's still there you know it has one flawless idea perhaps the only actual solution to all world problems the issues that rest at the root of virtually everything humanity collectively and we as individuals get wrong if everyone in the world agreed today to pause and to look inward to observe their mind and to reflect to address their egos and insecurities that manifest as bullshit projected on others, overcome their fears that create defensiveness and aggression and that justify the wars and the armies and the nationalism and the bombs and the guns, and just to live a bit more consciously of themselves and of others. There'd be no quicker, more thorough, more effective way to solve all of the world's problems with a single solution. But unfortunately, expecting everybody in the world to address themselves in this way is probably even more unlikely than me somehow figuring out how to kidnap all of the world's leaders, all of the most powerful and influential people for a shamanic bonfire and sharing circle in the woods. One great step, I guess, in that direction, though, would be for those of us who are willing and able to reflect inwardly in this way, to meditate on ourselves to do so. Right? Coming to understand oneself can help us remain, I guess, aware of how we are affecting others, to recognize the byproducts of our actions, to clear space, to empathize more and allow actions to reflect our cultivated compassions. Our judgment just wouldn't be so clouded by our personal subconscious problems occupying so much space in the background. And from there, 
we can each focus instead on the more tangible problems outside of ourselves. You know, and this allows us to truly act selflessly when we're not preoccupied with something going on in our own head. Right? It allows us to focus on those afflictions we could so effectively contribute to solving if we weren't so distracted and preoccupied by these problems surviving inside. And from this, we can increase our emotional intelligence, learn patience and acceptance, and just generally become more effective people in the broadest sense. And effective people can find happiness and fulfillment and impact change in the wider world for the priority causes and issues, not just you know, within the directly observable world they're surrounded by, but the wider one. They could do all this at the same time. But sometimes it seems like we get a little confused here. And we believe that our, you know, our personal growth or self-improvement or whatever you want to refer to it as is somehow synonymous in and of itself without additional action with global improvement, right? With solving wider world problems. And maybe our personal growth and emotional prosperity, you know, paints our directly observable worlds in a brighter light as our kindness, compassion, and health rubs off on those around us, which is a beautiful thing. But then we might mistake this model that we've created of the world or this community we've built or the world we've surrounded ourselves by and the positivity we're bringing to that isolated area, right? We see it, I guess, in our isolated lives as a miniature model of the wider world. But unfortunately, this model is rarely an accurate one. So a lot of people seem to stand behind the belief that the best thing we can do for the world is work on ourselves. Then our wisdom, kindness, and benevolence will radiate outward to the rest of the world. And that is a beautiful idea that we'll definitely get to in more detail later on in the episode. You know, as our wisdom and kindness and benevolence do absolutely radiate outward. And addressing ourselves usually is the best thing we can do to improve the lives of those closest to us. But the reach of that radiation is very limited. And it definitely does not span to the wider world, right, without additional deliberate actions taken. But we'll elaborate on that soon, I promise. And again, right, if, these were, if there were any remote potential of everyone in the world pausing life, as we know it, to look inward together, right? Like we mentioned before, then everyone's local radiation in a way would engulf the whole surface of our planet. And in this case, painting your immediate surroundings with your brightness might actually be the best way to contribute to improving the world. But for the time being, again, the potential of this happening remains very close to zero. And I mean, even the potential of say 5% of humanity, somehow reflecting inward in this way, well, I think that also remains pretty close to a 0% chance of happening, if you ask me. So reserving hope for this idea, I think, is unfortunately probably not too productive, though I really do wish nothing more than that this were the case. (laughs) And if it were, you know, if this were the case, I'd be in the woods somewhere restfully and curiously pondering life instead of, definitely instead of sitting in front of this microphone, you know, or instead of 
venturing to the epicenters of humanitarian crises instead of trying to spread practical ideas as wide as I know how, because if that were the case, these practical ideas wouldn't be necessary, right? And I'd definitely be doing that instead of trying to spread these ideas through social media, <laughs> given my social media illiteracy. So quick side note, if <laughs> anyone out there wants to help or has any advice on social media, please reach out. And I guess you should do that via social media on the Facebook page. I'm happy to hear anything and I could use a lot of help. So uh, do let me know, side note. Anyway, I highlight this idea because it often seems like we, I know I've mentioned this before, we each have this fixed amount of effort uh, to expend per day, per month, per year on doing good, right? And the finite stock of energy we have available to exert benevolently. And if we muddle up the difference between doing good for our own health and wellness, you know, the type that radiates outward to those in our directly, uh, directly surrounding us, you know, the difference between that and doing good for those living beings most in need of our compassion enacted, right? Most often believing that our self-work is directly translating into global improvement, not just improvement of our direct social circles, you know, we'll miss huge opportunities to impact the wider world positively. And we'll especially miss the opportunity to benefit those living beings who could most gain, you know, from some form of compassionate assistance that we're very capable of when we're paying attention. Now, again, <laughs> I'll continue to reiterate this. Self-work is absolutely vital. And uh, self-work, self-improvement, whatever you want to call it, you know, becoming just a more positive, insightful, wise, compassionate, caring, kind, and conscientious person will without question positively impact those in our direct circles of influence. But then here comes, you know, the kicker, the one that really matters, you know, one that we seem to often not be so conscious of, All right? So by nature of streaming this podcast, you are likely living within a relative you know, relatively fortunate circle of influence already, right? Not necessarily fortunate by national standards in America or wherever you are listening to this right now, but by global standards, by being able to access this and having the bandwidth, <laughs> being able to afford the bandwidth to stream this. It may seem like not that big of a deal, but by global standards, that is incredible, incredible, you know, extremely rare. And because of this, the improvement that you bring to people's lives around you through radiating, you know, incidentally, your uh, positivity, right, and kindness and good nature, this will be huge, but it will be more often probably along the lines of increasing quality of life for those around you from 7 out of 10 to 8 out of 10 to try to quite arbitrarily quantify this idea and don't get attached to these numbers, just throwing them out there to try and, um, you know, make this a little bit more of an objective conversation, though I guess it's not objective at all. Anyway, yet at the same time, you know, with half, with half the human population living on less than $4 per day, and as species go extinct by the day, and as 60 billion animals are torturously farmed each year, you know, there is a lot to address outside of our direct circles of influence, right? Outside of those who will be incidentally impacted by us being kinder, happier, more patient, wiser people in general. Again, this is, this is not to take away from the value of impacting lives around us, but just to suggest that there is so 
much more in the world that we can impact because the world is massive and we, by nature of being humans, uh, we possess one, we're sitting in one place at one point in time, right? And the reach of our daily lives is, of course, limited by being one person, right? But that this, I guess this impact requires a deliberate choice to do so if we're wanting to reach wider than that, if we're, if we're going beyond these limitations of our, our direct circles of influence, which is, of course, more complicated and less convenient than suggesting that the best thing I can do for the world is to be happy, you know, to fill my glass to the point that it overflows around me, right? But God, I wish that, God, I wish that were true. How beautiful would life be if that were actually the case? And I guess in ways our selective perceptions are maybe thinking the same thing, right? How beautiful would life be to be able to believe, you know, to seek the information that proved or suggested that this was actually the case. But unfortunately, there are a lot of causes in this massive world that we are empowered to contribute to, right? Where the baseline of quality of life for the beneficiaries of these causes you know, whether those are humans or non-human animals or environmental causes, well, humans are non-human animals for this example, is closer to, again, arbitrarily to, to say two out of 10 as opposed to seven out of 10, right? And because of this, any good that we can impact here means sometimes the difference between circumstantial enslavement and liberty, between perpetual suffering and well-being, maybe even between life and death. And to try again to arbitrarily quantify all of this, we can see a couple important differences here between increasing the quality of life from 2 to 3 out of 10 as compared to increasing from 7 out of 10 to 8 out of 10. So first, a difference to make when when the the baseline quality of life is below a certain threshold. And let's just say for this example if it's below 6 out of 10, so if it's 1 to 5 out of 10, then an increase here in quality of life could be looked at as something closer to a decrease in suffering, while an increase from a baseline above 6 out of 10 could be more considered increasing well-being, right? if that makes sense. And with this in mind, I, I guess I have to ask, which would you deem more vital, valuable, and desirable in your own life if you had to, to choose between these two? Right. First, either pain medication after, say, breaking your leg, <laughs> and that would last for a few hours of relief. Maybe this isn't a perfect example, but pain medication after breaking your leg or a pitcher of ice-cold lemonade while reading a book on a hot Sunday afternoon. Right. Both of these are improvements to quality of life for a few hours, and they're both, they sound... I'd, I'd love both of them at those particular times, but one is probably seen by most of us as more valuable than the other, right? A decrease in suffering here is probably more vital than an increase in well-being. And at, I guess at, at least outside of the U.S. where, I don't know, our $3 pills can somehow cost us thousands of dollars, in most places, the cost of that pain medication and that pitcher of lemonade would be pretty similar. And the second distinction to draw here, 
Now, the marginal effort and resources it takes to increase quality of life tends to increase exponentially as the baseline quality of life increases. So that sounded muddled up. In other words, so increasing quality of life from 1 out of 10 to 2 out of 10 can sometimes be achieved for, say, 1 1,000th of the effort or cost or energy of increasing quality of life from 7 out of 10 to 8 out of 10, if that makes sense. Or to put it another way, for the same amount of effort, same amount of energy, same cost to us in whatever form that might take. You know, if that effort is applied very strategically and effectively in 2017 when we have access to so much information, we might be capable of improving 1,000 lives you know, of those living in the harshest circumstances in the world or for that same cost to ourselves and effort and energy and funds and resources, whatever it might be, we could alternatively improve the life of one person already living in relative comfort. And again, this is not to discount our suffering here in the developed world because it is equally as real as everywhere else and magnitudes of people are living extremely challenging lives and it's never to discount that at all and I know a lot of people probably thought that in the last couple minutes but it's just to say that the quantities and the intensity is just very clearly lesser on average say in America than in other places like South Sudan or Yemen, for example, and in, again, in 2017, we can directly target our actions towards these places where that suffering is most prevalent, right? So again, please don't take it that way, and that's not at all what I mean. It's not discounting anything here. It's just to say there's such a prevalence in many other places that we might not fully be aware of on any given day. You know, we know it, but it's not at the forefront of our thought process to continually remind ourselves of the magnitude of that suffering that exists elsewhere, right? And again, it's not to discount the value of being a beautiful, positive person who touches the lives of friends and community alike through intentionally working on becoming the best version of yourself. And I know I've said that many times, but I say it because I really don't want anyone to take this the wrong way. You know, and to, it's, it's not to say that... I, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I guess I'll say this one more time. I wish nothing more than that this were actually the way to accomplish the most good, to fill my glass and let it spill over for everyone around me. I wish that were the case. Uh, and it might be locally, but it, it it unfortunately doesn't seem to be the case globally with such a high magnitude of suffering uh, prevalent in places that we can reach now. But it just highlights I think an incredible again this opportunity right, that comes with this, this opportunity we have. The fact that, you know, also we, we can work on ourselves, but we also have that, that capability of impacting so much outside of our directly reachable social circles, right, if we choose to take advantage of that opportunity. And luckily, if we pay a little attention, you know, we'll see opportunities are abundant and that we can both work on ourselves, right, and in turn radiate our benevolence to those directly surrounding us and right, uh, we can contribute to global issues at the same time.
So before we move along too far here, let's quickly define two different groups and we'll call them circles uh, that we can reach and what falls within each of these circles. Then we'll see through which types of actions we're able to reach uh, each circle. And the next episode coming out, episode number 16, will elaborate on these circles in a lot more detail. But I'll quickly touch on them now. Uh, but be sure to follow up on episode 16 that will be coming out next week. And we'll go into a lot more vital detail and elaborate uh, and explain why that's really important. So the first, uh, the first circle, let's call it our social circle. This is... You know, an inner circle, our social circle is, is made of those we stand to rub off on through the act of living our daily lives more kindly, healthily, happily, and benevolently. And we'll focus on defining the inner circle here of the average person, the social circle of the average person, knowing that this size and reach definitely varies, especially for those, say, with a massive uh, social media following or a large platform on which to share their voice. But for most people, the inner circle has a core made of your closest family and friends that you see very regularly and maybe some co-workers you work very close with on a daily basis. And the remainder of the inner circle is made of the rest of the people and the non-human animals that you interact with or that you uh, directly impose on in your life, whether in person, even as, as little as standing beside somebody in line at the grocery store once or via social media outreach to a lesser extent. And we'll add the environments of, say, your yard and the paths you normally traverse to, to your inner circle as well. But again, that's by no means a thorough explanation, and I'll elaborate in the next episode. Um, and the second circle, the wider one, we'll call uh, the global circle, your global circle. So your global circle seems to be quite similar, I think, probably for most people. And it consists of any human or non-human animal that you do not interact with in your regular life, but that you stand to potentially impact if you so choose to take a particularly targeted action, right? Be that donating to anybody in the world, contributing to any cause, impacting anybody in the world, volunteering for a cause that reaches anybody, um, constituents of a government that you write a letter to, consuming in a way that impacts anybody, and that list goes on and on and on. So pretty much every living being in the world that you don't directly interact with falls within some part of your global circle. And of course, there are select subsets, I'd say, of your global circle that have significantly higher potential of being reached. Uh, but again, that's for episode 16. And here we can also add the environment as a whole, all ecosystems, all forests, all oceans to this uh, global circle of influence. Of course, again, with a spectrum of what is most easily and effectively reached and what's reached, you know, with the hardest, um, least effective means. Now, to explore what type types of actions affect each circle, let's explore a couple uh, terms that some of us might recall from introductory philosophy classes back in the day. Uh, that's self-regarding and other-regarding. And usually in, in classes, that's self-regarding and other-regarding virtue. But here we'll talk about uh, what constitutes a self-regarding action and an other-regarding action and what falls in between. So <laughs> I promise I'm, 
uh, might not sound too exciting, but this framework of being able to process and look at our actions is really, um, I think, a really helpful one. So hang with me here and <laughs> we'll get through this really quick. Um, I think it's really interesting, uh, very uh, productive way, I think, of looking at what types of actions reach uh, what types of um, ends or which people or causes that we're aiming for. So to be as brief as possible, a self-regarding action is something we do that doesn't tend to directly impose a condition on others, whereas an other-regarding action is one that does directly impose a condition on others. So if we are attempting to understand how ethical our personal choices are, generally speaking, we can agree that a choice becomes more uh, a larger moral consideration when it involuntarily imposes conditions on others. So in this sense, other regarding actions seem to come with, uh, you know, more ethical baggage. And because of this require a bit more consideration, I think it's safe to say that. And self-regarding actions tend to impose conditions directly on oneself. And thus, you know, of course, uh, an important consideration for your own health and well-being uh, and those that you rub off on, but it carries less moral salience, we can say. So to elaborate on that, here are some, I think, common self-regarding actions that can be incredibly valuable in helping us become more benevolent people and rub off on those around us and can also prepare us to much more effectively take more concrete other regarding actions in due time, right? But this is by no means an exhaustive list, uh, but just to name a few of these self-regarding actions that can serve to impact um, oneself directly and in turn rub off on others. So uh, here are a few. Let's see. So, so like meditation, yoga, prayer, uh, regular exercise, uh, sending positive intentions, eating healthy diets, free self-expression, artistic expression, breath work, uh, positive affirmations, uh, watching documentaries or listening to TED Talks, reading thought-provoking and important books, staying informed on world events while critical of news sources, and maybe even listening to podcasts. <laughs> so again, not at all an exhaustive list, but I think it's really important to say that when considering wider causes falling within our global circle, whether that's topics of global poverty, social injustice, animal welfare, and the environment, all of these self-regarding actions are, of course, important. They are like stepping stones towards becoming a more effective person, more informed and capable of addressing wider issues deliberately. But in the end, right, mastering meditation or having a PhD in anything, PhD in saving the world, right? These are just beautifully crafted hammers and saws and screwdrivers sitting in a tool shed waiting to be used. And it's often through the other regarding actions that we swing that hammer, right? And we make use of high quality tools to create high quality things. To put it another way, for personal well-being, self-regarding actions are like an end in themselves worth seeking. For the well-being of others within your social circle, your well-being and wisdom can then rub off on them, as I've said before, and these actions, you know, kind of still remain an end in themselves, but for the well-being of the rest of the world, self-regarding actions are a large means to an end, but not an end in themselves. 
Right? So procuring wood, nails, and a hammer are necessary steps to take before building a wooden bridge. And possessing them makes you more prepared to build, but still, no one is able to cross the river until you build the bridge. And of course, there are probably other means of crossing the river that could happen without the necessity of building an entire bridge, but that's a different conversation. Getting off track. And speak, <laughs> speaking of building things from wood, this is the worst transition pun ever. <laughs> Here are a few types of actions that sit on a fence. Da, 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 da. <laughs> As they are definitely part of other regarding, uh, but much less, less so than our intuitions often tell us. So some of these that sit on the fence might be participating in protests and marches, which is very different from organizing them. You know, being that marginal additional person who, if there's 50,000 people there and you're the 50,000 and first, um, well, that's, that's a conversation of its own, but that sits on the fence. Volunteering with organizations we haven't really researched to understand if they're effective, right? Or if they're co uh, causes that are just close to our hearts, but not necessarily the ones that are impacting much. Uh, donating to marginally effective nonprofits, again, that might be close to our heart, as opposed to those supported by data to be effective at addressing priority issues. So if we donate to something we're really emotionally invested in and it doesn't actually do a lot of good, it can still make us feel a little bit healthier. So that's kind of a self-regarding action disguised as another regarding action or somewhere in between. Uh Another might be writing Facebook posts uh, that share useful information and perspective. You know, that can help us vent a little bit and maybe it has an impact. Maybe it reaches somebody. Uh, maybe not, uh, depending on what the information is. And maybe there are some actions, I guess, that we can take that are both self-regarding and other-regarding at the same time. Or maybe they're one or the other, depending on how we look at them simultaneously. So take veganism, for example. So eating a plant-based diet can either be self-regarding when it's for health reasons, or it can be other-regarding when it's for ethical reasons, if it's animal welfare or the environment, uh, or I guess anywhere in the spectrum between if all of those are taken into consideration. <laughs> now, just to very quickly vent. So going gluten-free would... Is, is, definitely not other regarding it is self-regarding if it's the case that you believe that it's going to improve your health <laughs> but whenever just again to vent whenever i ask at a restaurant if they have a vegan option i'm so often told no but here's the gluten-free menu like they're somehow related <laughs> so in a, a self-regarding sense they might they might be uh, but in an other regarding sense, if it's for ethical reasons, they have nothing to do with each other. Might as well have a menu then for, uh, I don't know, varieties of gummy bears. has nothing to do with anything. Don't know why that came to my head. So maybe, maybe this more reflects that the average person views veganism as a health choice over an ethical one. I don't know. <laughs> but as frustrated as I sounded there, I promise I'm holding back all of my frustration because that's one of my biggest pet peeves. Anyway, so now other regarding actions are those that are generally more likely to reach the global circle to impact the rest of the world outside of those we generally interact with. And the high impact other regarding actions are those that either reach parts of the outer circle that can most benefit from that reach, right? They are reaching those very desperately in need or causes that are heavily threatened and vital, 
or they are high yielding per unit of input, right? Those actions that are exceptionally efficient and effective. And, you know, this is a good use of time and resources. So some of the other regarding actions are signing petitions that you have researched, uh, staying informed to vote effectively and actually voting, voting, uh, donating to effective nonprofits, uh, volunteering your skill set for a benevolent cause, uh, donating, yeah, I guess conducting useful, unbiased research, communicating findings on priority issues uh, if they're communicated well, uh, reducing your damaging consumption habits. But I say that with a little caution because we often overestimate the impact of our reduced consumption, and this can sometimes grant us moral licenses to skip out on other more impactful actions. So, the further and the furthest thing from saying not to consume ethically, just to be aware that it is, you know, there's um, impact. It's definitely impactful, but there are limitations there, just to be aware of. And I discuss this in more detail in episode six, which is about moral licensing, and in episode eight, I think called "Doing Less Harm or More Good." So definitely check those two out if you haven't yet. And then for some of the high impact other regarding actions. So these would be following up on those protests and marches with recommended actions. And often those recommended actions uh, take the form of some of the following here. So this could be writing letter to, to Congress, calling your senator, you know, directly communicate persuasive ideas to influential people that can make decisions or have reaches that you don't have, right? Uh, you could donate to highly effective nonprofits addressing neglected issues, you know, the top uh, most effective nonprofits. Uh, creatively fundraise for these same highly effective nonprofits. You could influence those within your social circle to do the same, thus multiplying your effect, right? You can conduct uh, useful, unbiased research on priority topics and share your findings as widely as you can. You can volunteer your skill set, your highly valuable skill set for high priority and neglected causes. Maybe organize creative, strategic advocacy campaigns to address uh, priority causes. And again, that list goes on and on and on. Uh, and this is by no means exhaustive, just a few examples here. So... If we have a fixed stock again of energy to bring to doing good, wouldn't it just make sense? And I, I know I've said this before and I'll continue to say it to aspire to do as much good with that fixed amount of energy as we can. And I guess, you know, when exploring how we can do as much good as we can, wouldn't it be productive to seek the most accurate model of how the world works and operate based on that? So with this in mind, being aware and conscious of the differences between these two types of actions can help us allocate our time and energy to align as much as possible with our highest values uh, by looking at the world as um, accurately as we can and recognizing these differences. So in summary, to wrap it all up, uh, this is maybe my longest solo episode so far, and I did try to trim it, but in summary, self-work again, again, is very vital. You know, though it rarely translates directly into widespread improvement within the causes in the world that need the most help. And living in a circumstance where you can stream this podcast, you're empowered to impact those causes that need the most help. But here's the best part. We can do it all at the same time. Right? And believing in one route towards making the world a better place does not mean 
We have to ignore the other router, deem it less valuable. So we can meditate and send positive thoughts or pray if that's what we want to call it. And we can do yoga and read philosophy and walk on our paths of personal growth, spiritual expansion and whatever else we believe contributes to a healthy life. And we can donate to evidence-based high-impact initiatives. We can volunteer our time where they can most achieve impact, not just where they feel like we're doing good. We can write letters to our representatives, spread good ideas as wide as our reach spans. We can bring attention to our, you know, underrepresented causes that people aren't paying so much attention to. We can conduct research and topics that can improve the world. If this is our particular strength and a skill set we possess, we can offer again, if that, if we have a different unique skill set, we can offer that to a cause we, we really believe is a priority one instead of volunteering our, I don't know, time in an unskilled position in the soup kitchen, I guess. And that list goes on and on and on. Right? And with this in mind, it's important to maintain a balance here. This balance between self-love and selflessness. Between prioritizing personal joy and prioritizing how we bring well-being to others. And it's up to each of us to pay attention to what type of balance works best within our own lives. Because I can't tell you what the balance is. There's no secret formula. We have to find this ourselves. And I spent a lot of time... <laughs> in very unproductive imbalance for sure so where is the point at which you are caring for yourself enough to assure you remain energized and effective at caring and acting for others that's my thought of where that balance might lie but again everybody everybody has to find that place themselves and figure out what they're aiming for so when we're aware of the actions we take and we can differentiate who is benefiting from what actions, whether it's ourselves, our social circles, or our wider global circles, we more easily find this balance of personal joy, of deeper-seated health and happiness, and that type of fulfillment in knowing with a high level of confidence that we're doing a lot of good in the world, that we're creating change, that we're living a life that will maximize the difference between the world in which we live and the one in which we were never born. So today I tried to differentiate between the inner circle, you know, our social circle, and the outer global circle between self-regarding and other regarding actions. We looked into the unfortunate limitations of self-regarding actions when trying to do good in the wider world, as well as the vital role they play within our direct surroundings. And I went way longer than I hoped to go, uh, but in next episode, um, episode number 16, we'll take a closer look at the, the difference between our social circle and global circle. We'll look uh, closer and deeper into the actions that impact our inner circles and the actions that impact uh, the outer global circles. We'll discuss some techniques for finding that balance between caring for ourselves and for others and explore why this differentiation is so important. So this episode uh, was a primer for some more details to come. Uh, it's a really big topic. It's kind of a foundation, I think, of how to look at 
how our actions are impacting others and something I wanted to bring forward, something I hope to bring forward even before the 15th episode, but uh, it's a pretty wide idea and one I'm, I'm working out a lot in my own head anyway. So uh, thank you for hearing out uh, again this very long episode. Um, I'll be back again next week with episode 16 that I've mentioned a couple of times here. So uh, in the meantime, please uh, check us out on Facebook, on iTunes, uh, now available on Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud as well. Leave some comments. Leave a, The best thing you could do would be leave a rating on iTunes. Uh, if you'd like to leave a review with words, that's great, but you can also just click a number of stars. It takes quite literally two seconds, and that goes a really long way to kind of bump us up in um, searchability and rating so people can find this so the word can spread a bit more, and uh, that's why I'm here. So if you have any comments, <laughs> you know, if any of this made no sense at all, if it made a lot of sense, reach out, let me know. You can find me on Facebook. All the links are also at logansullivan.com. Uh, thank you to Hana and Cello Joe, as usual, for giving me permission to use the beautiful, beautiful music in this episode. All of their links are also uh, at logansullivan.com. So thank you so much, and I'll be back with another episode next week. Mm-hmm.